I'd like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the Yagara and the Turrbal people as the traditional custodians of Mianjin, the lands on which our podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Body Track Academy podcast created by EPs for EPs. The podcast will take you on an in-depth understanding of everything an EP is faced with on a day-to-day basis, including clinical, personal and business practices to ensure you become the best practitioner possible. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you like, share, follow us on whatever streaming service you use to ensure the message spreads and you are notified of any new podcast or educational resources available to you. Furthermore, if you're not already part of our online academy, head over to Facebook and join the Body Track Academy. Happy listening. Hello, Body Track Academy. Today I am sitting with Nicole, our EP, and we're going to be talking about a client case study. So, for anyone who has similar clients or even just about the journey from assessment to where they are now and the improvements that they've made, that's what we'll be going through. Um, but first, I thought I'd hit everyone up with a couple of stats in our uh, uh, podcast at the moment. So, being around for about two years, we have just reached 11,708 downloads. So, thank you very much to everyone who has downloaded and listened. We hope you've got a lot out of it. Um, our audience is obviously pro- predominantly Australia, but we do have some in the US, Canada, UK, a couple in Mexico, and New Zealand. So, shout out to our compatriots. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I know you've done a couple here before. Um, how have you been? Yeah, good. It's been a while though. I'm excited yeah. to do another one. Excellent. I think the last one we did was actually around another case study that we had previously. So, jump back in. You probably can pick the voice of Nicole. It's very distinct mm-hmm. uh, talking about a case study. But let's shine a light a little bit on this case study that we're going to go through today. Um, yeah, what's their condition, age, demographics, all of that. If you can sure thing. Fire away. So I had this client referred to me in July, so 62-year-old male. Primary concern for him was uh, a recent diagnosis of idiopathic Parkinson's disease. Um, Recent and had been diagnosed in January, so in this year, but from the point he actually came in to see me was a little bit later down the track Um, and after a little bit more digging, a little bit of denial um, and trying to process that diagnosis as well. Ultimately, the referral actually came through a mutual allied health network, uh, lymphedema specialist, because he also has lower limb lymphedema. So she had been uh, encouraging him to try to get back into some exercise and to try to better manage his lymphedema beyond just the compression stockings he'd been given. Um, And she'd been trying to push him our direction for a wee while. And I think ultimately for him, it got to the point where he finally realized it wasn't going to fix itself, both conditions, among other things, and he really needed to do something about it. But understandably, a bit of a processing time yep. before we can make that decision. Indeed. Um, obviously, being diagnosed with such a condition of Parkinson's, I'm sure there, and, and any condition really, you have to have that little time to absorb what's going through and that life-changing um, aspect there. If I can just touch on the, the referral pathway there, um, was it an allied health contact that has been established for a while or is this someone that was fairly new? Like just to give an insight to our listeners about the importance of allied health collaboration and and how these referrals come about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this referral pathway has been something that um, myself and another colleague set up Oh, easily probably three to four years ago now. Okay. So yep. it's actually part of our oncology referral network. Um, that's where we tend to see most of our lymphedema clients coming through. 
his is not related to oncology at all. We mm. can get other types of lymphedema that are not related to surgery or um, other conditions. So yeah, it was just a bit of a, a mutual contact really. And ultimately this referral pathway knew what we do here and knows mm. the extreme benefits of even just muscle mass and strength building for managing lymphedema, but also mm. understanding the rest of his conditions. She knew there'd be even more benefit there as well. Um, we are a trusted referral pathway both ways. Mm. Um, I refer just about all my lymphedema uh, patients towards her um, if she's got the space there. So definitely showing the importance, not only of a network for a specialized area, mm. but her understanding what we do here at Body Track enabled her to realize that this client would also be benefiting from some exercise with us as well. Wonderful. And I think um, if I'm correct in thinking, I know this uh, allied health collaboration, they've come in for some in-services before with us. Yes. Yep. Yeah, perfect. I know the one. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really important uh, point that you've raised is the... Um, the constant collaboration and seeing how three or four years, as you said, um, it's created a great network for um, referral pathways. So for EPs out there that um, would like to create referral pathways, that's just shining the light, I guess, on uh, keeping in contact and building that strong relationship. But it also comes down to the, the, the main outcome being holistic healthcare for that client and that client-centered care um, nothing better than a client coming into a session with you, Nicole, or going to the lymphedema specialist and knowing that those health professionals have spoken to each other mm -hmm. on the same page and they can just act because um, being in the experience of, a, of a, 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 I'm sorry, a patient per se and having to explain yourself about what issues you have to mm -hmm. each allied health is awesome. tiring. Yeah. And you, you put that on top of you know, the condition that they might be suffering with, mm. It's a lot of mental overload, I think. So anyway, just a little divert there about the importance of Allied Health Collab. But let's get into this case study in particular. Sure. Um, so talk about what your uh, first initial assessment was. Like how did you go through subjective, objective analysis? And what things did you pick up on as well? Um, whether it be mannerisms of their um, Parkinson's condition or even uh, their their willingness to exercise. Is there anything that you picked up on there and then kind of changed their mind about with the, the importance of it? Yep, absolutely. So these are one of the clients that I had some information on coming in. They do the initial forms. We can see that the primary concern is very much Parkinson's. It's the first thing that gets put down. Um, when I asked him when he sat down, I asked what's, you know, what's brought you to body track here today? Um, he told me about his referral pathway, reinforced that, and also that he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's and didn't really know what he should be doing. Mm. So that was very much the primary forefront of the mind. Um, naturally, though, in the subjective assessment, we're going to delve a little bit deeper and find out what else is going on too. Um, his Parkinson's disease is early stage. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of symptoms, his left side's a bit more affected, and we could see that in his gait as he walked into the clinic. Not. Yep. Not hugely noticeable. I think more to the trained eye, you can pick up these things as well. Um, and a very mild tremor. So mm. from the outside looking in, I don't think many people would know. And I don't think a lot of his extended family or anything else know. Mm. Just closed networks. So that was his primary concern. Um, as we started to delve a little bit deeper, find out what was going on, we found out there was quite a comprehensive medical history. Um, so he did have high blood pressure, um, also had depression, but was medicated for that. Felt that was pretty well managed. It's something we tend to see alongside of uh, Parkinson's as well. That was picked up earlier, however. Mm. Uh, and then in terms of musculoskeletal history, once we looked into that a little bit more, we found out that we had right hip and, and left knee pain, um, had an arthroscopy in, oh, I think it was 2011, mm -hmm. and to try to clean out that left knee, but that left knee doesn't want to bend fully, or sorry, doesn't want to straighten fully. So a um, few issues there. 
And then the more we delved, we found out that, yes, was a rugby player, had a pretty active lifestyle and history, um, bilateral shoulder pain, rotator cuff um, pathologies in both shoulders. Uh, there was, what did he say, loose wires in the right shoulder. And I, was, <laughs> I was like, tell me more. And he's like, oh, I did a real good fracture of my collarbone oh, you know, wow. back in the day. Yeah, and fantastic. that's when they tried to wire it back together. Yeah. Um, and that lasted all of a couple of years and they've never removed the wire, so they're essentially loose in that mm. right shoulder as well. Mm. Uh, and this came to light when we looked a little bit more into range of motion and, and movement through their shoulders were limited so much, both directions, pain, overhead above 90. So whilst my brain was churning for going, what are we going to do for Parkinson's type movements in, in yep. the future? We've got to deal with these things first because this is going to limit a few things as well. Of course. But yeah. anyway, pocket those to the side because that wasn't his primary concern. Mm. Um, but when we then delved into what are, you, what are your goals? What do you want to get out of, out of seeing us? Um, ultimately, his main one was trying to increase his weekly activity again. He admitted since his diagnosis in January, he stopped all his exercise. Okay. Uh, whether that was a fair around, I don't know what to do. Am mm. I going to do damage? Also a bit of depression kicking mm. in and just losing a lot of motivation and feeling like a lot of his life was changing, having to retire from work and a lot of milestone changes um, and adapting to, I suppose, a new life potentially. Um, so that was his first his first goal, was just getting back into a consistent routine. And then his long-term goals, and he really um, framed these like these would be very distant future. He said he really wanted to just maintain his mobility and independence. So I think he was quite fearful about his gait really declining. Um, he wanted to get back to playing golf. I have the confidence to get back in his boat. So he's got a boat, but he hadn't used it yep. since the previous year. Um, and be able to play with his new granddaughter, who at that time was nine months old. Mm. So okay. very, very real goals, very, um, I suppose, hobby-based and, and things that brought him a lot of quality of life. But the way he framed them was so much like they were two to three years down the track if he'd ever get there. Right. Yeah. So again, pocketed those, jotted those down yep. um, and keeping them in. Still the forefront of my mind, uh, but very much trying to address the primary reason he was coming in there today. Yeah. So our assessments went into more objective ones, looking at how he was moving. Could definitely see that change in his left side of his gait. Mm -hmm. um, a shorter gait, which was probably coming from his knee as well, the inability to fully straighten his left knee. But also that whole left side being the one that was more affected. Surprisingly, he still had normal arm swing. So left arm was still swinging nicely through there, but definitely rigid through the whole body. You could see... He has a fair bit of muscle mass in the upper trunk as well from, I think, history of, of training through there, but a lot of that wasn't moving. Uh, quite a kyphotic posture, probably not helping the shoulders either. Mm. And um, ultimately, when we started to test out those knees, so I sit the stands, we had knee pain, um, shoulder range of motion, like I said, couldn't get above 90 in, in either side, and uh, a lot of pain and a lot of motions too. Right. So let's unpack that a little bit because um, that was quite enlightening about... What I want to touch on is kind of looking at it from the client's perspective as well. They've mm -hmm. obviously come in thinking, I've got Parkinson's, I need to see a health professional to understand how to live with that, yep. right? But I think what the great thing is and what we can do as EPs is we treat the person and what they're exactly like you alluded to, Nicole, their wants, their goals, their out, the, the outcomes that they want to see. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't anything to really... Uh, do with Parkinson's per se, it was, well, this is what I've got, but I want to still be able to do these activities of um, go on the boat, mm -hmm. that was one of them, yep. golf, grandkids, yep. things that are very much um, very meaningful outcomes. And I think that's a very key thing. We probably harped on about this in many of our podcasts, but focus back on 
what are the meaningful outcomes and goals that the the uh, individual wants to see with that condition because you are treating the person, you are not treating the condition. Um, a really key takeaway from that point there. You could easily look at what the guidelines are about Parkinson's management, mm-hmm. um, but you, you've done a great job in terms of storing that and going, I know this is where we have to focus, but there's all this other these other issues Mm -hmm. that without addressing them, we won't even touch or uh, scrape the surface of what we have to do for that side of management. So um, that's one of the key things I would, I would take away from there. And if you look at from the client's perspective, they've come in and we talk about expectations a lot in our, in our team, the expectation that they're coming in is, well, I'll get some kind of exercise program or some maybe don't know, but usually it's, I'll get some sort of exercise program um, that I'll have to do to manage my condition Uh, and the brilliance of the initial assessment it's our opportunity as EPs to show our value and go yes we can do that but look what else we can do Mm -hmm. we can actually just enrich and enhance your life um, to its full potential by being holistic in our in our in our um, in our healthcare so uh, that's the two main takeaways I would I would say from there and very well done in terms of addressing or the musculoskeletal things that are going to be impeding anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's let's take a step forward from there. So you've assessed and you see some limitations. Um, where's your, uh, what's your wrap up with the session first and foremost? Yep. Part A of the question. And then part B, are you going, well, I'll focus on those primarily, mm-hmm. even though they've come in going, Parkinson's is my condition, I want treatment for that. Mm-hmm. But then you going, well, clinically we're probably not going to be able to really address that because of these musk issues. Mm-hmm. Is that a conversation you have with the client? Is that a decision that you make in the next session? How does that kind of piece together? Yeah, good question. And it's for me, it was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I provided uh, this client the education on what type of training we would do with a client who presents with Parkinson's. Great. So we spoke about resistance training, um, some aerobic mm-hmm. type work to slot into his week as well as well as the amplitude training that yep. I wanted to bring in specific to his Parkinson's. Yeah. I did express my, I wouldn't say the word concern, but I expressed that because of the musk issues with his shoulders and his knees, mm. it would limit the quality in which we could execute that amplitude training. Um, but they would give it a go in the first session and then reevaluate if we're ready for it now, or if it's something that we wanted to just postpone early on and then reintroduce once we had better function of upper and lower limb. Mm. But in the meantime, very much still addressing really important parts. Uh, the other two parts, which was more his, his strength, the resistance training side of things, and setting up a sustainable routine that he could do outside of the clinic, more so with his walking, because it was super easy to do, to start building some cardiorespiratory fitness back up, building his foundation, building that routine, because that was also part of his short-term goal. Mm. So giving him the reassurance that we were still going to address what he wanted to, but explaining from my clinical point of view, how we might have a few little hurdles along the way um, and how we could then still get it over those hurdles, but perhaps at a more realistic time frame. So he hadn't even heard of amplitude training either. Yep. Um, mm. So I gave him a little bit of education on that. He did have a speech therapist booked in coming up as well. So I gave Fantastic. him a little bit of a, yep. an idea that we might be using some similar concepts there, but of amplitude training likely to pop up in that too, which again, boded well, built good confidence further down the track when he could have confirmed that's indeed what happened. <laughs> Great. Um, but that was how we wrapped up that first session. Made a bit of a plan as to what we want to do in clinic. So I recommended from there, look, we need to get into some strength training at least two times a week. And early on, because there is so many musk issues we need to work in around that I wanted him to come see me for those two sessions, 
Um, he reported that he was there was a gym opening up at the um, independent living facility that they'd moved into, but right. it was pushing out to November or January. So I was like, great, great target for us to work into to have yeah. some more independence or add in the third day at the very least. Yep, using that as a as a, a goal and a um, way forward. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. And he Fantastic. was really keen because he's, he's got gym experience, mm. but he also knew he didn't know how to fix a lot of things along the way. So mm. get that sorted with me first, build the confidence, get the movements ready, and then we could add that in later down the track. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted him to get back into some movement on other days he wasn't seeing me to help build that routine and also to start helping with some mental health and getting him confident back in his movement again. So the first task for him was to get back into walking on, on at least three days a week. I said, start on the days you're not seeing me. Um, and then when you come to see me, you can do a lap around the field. He preferred the preferred outdoors compared to treadmill, which is fine. So I encouraged him to do his walk out around the, the footy field before he came in. Um, and that across the days, it was giving him five days a week as well. Mm. Um, so that was the first bit of homework before I saw him for his first session. Fantastic. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope you're learning a lot in this particular episode. Just a shout out to our sponsor, HGG Performance, which provide very high quality, innovative gym equipment and custom fit outs to enable you to pivot your potential and smash performance and rehab goals. They are world renowned for their innovative creations in the gym accessory space, including the best selling ISO Tib LT, Tib Bar, Wrist Axe and Nordic Bar. And I've got to say, we're using some of these equipment in our clinic and finding some great results. Used by professional sports teams, athletes and coaches worldwide, as well as the military, health practitioners, and apparently even Joe Rogan uses their gear. HGG is a proudly Aussie-owned company that makes all their gym equipment at their Gold Coast HQ. And our partnership with them, we are stoked to offer you 10% discount on any product with the code BODYTRACK10 so you can experience what all the hype is about yourself. So jump over to their website, go to the checkout, punch in the code of BODYTRACK10 to get 10% off um, on any of their great innovative gym equipment and start using today. Thanks very much. Jumping jumping laterally here for a second. Sure. And I'm very much assuming here. So I, I may expect the answer to be just flat out no from you, Nicole, <laughs> but <clears throat> you had a bit of rugby experience, you were saying. Yes. Okay. So, and obviously some history of going to the gym mm-hmm. prior. Did you pick up on anything where, because they've had a history of exercise and, and quite a high intensity and high load of resistance training, I would say in, in youth and, and um, adolescent years, I would p- perhaps. Yeah. Um, was there any kind of inkling that he felt he'd lost that and was almost feeling a little bit, dejected from the fact that he had to regress quite a lot of things and was there anything that you picked up on in how he um, expressed um, his uh, his attitude towards doing a lower intensity exercise at mm-hmm. all? I think with this client in particular, I believe he, he stopped resistance training, oh, we're talking like 25 years ago. Now. Okay. So right. it's, it's, it's as a, recent. Yeah, yep. 30, 20, 30 years ago now, mm. um, particularly because the shoulder pain. So... Mm. He'd got to that point where he goes, oh, my shoulders are, you know, I've got <coughs> breaks here, loose wires here. It was acceptance <laughs> yeah. of this is how I am. I, you know, I thrashed them in my yeah. early years and now this is, this is how I am. Right. So yeah. that was already that part of his attitude in the past. Mm. Add on to that, um, he's already got depression as well. And then he's got this diagnosis of Parkinson's in, in January too. So not knowing him prior to that, I would say there's been probably another attitude change again in, in terms of what he thinks he's capable of since, since January. Mm-hmm. So he... I think his limitations came from his pain more so. So right. he knew he couldn't do heavier. I think there was definitely a bit of a, oh, I, I really enjoyed that type of thing. 
And on a bit of forward chatting, but um, self-reflection, I probably started them a little bit too low. Okay. And yep. it was able to ramp them up. Mm -hmm. But it meant we had a really nice progressive outcome with no adverse effects, no crazy mm. changes in pain or anything like that. Mm. But what we're at now was far more than what we started with them right. you know, a couple of weeks prior to that. Just just before we get into that, <clears throat> um, how did you know that you started them at too, too low or an intensity? Was it, was it a, again, a communication with the client? Did, was it collaborative in that effort? Or did you pick up on and go, you're coasting here. I probably can push it, push it up a little bit. It was actually, I had another colleague help me with a few other sessions because right. of availability. Yep. So I wanted to get them twice a week. So if it wasn't with me, making yeah. sure that we could get them to see a colleague as well. Um, and because of availability in the session and a few symptoms with knees, they tried them out on a, on the leg press and then started to push things a little bit more. And then in the next session with me, I started being on the leg press. So I said, let's actually get some testing going on here and actually uses our testing. Yeah, protocol. great. So mm. um, once I started to push things out there and getting some ratings there, I realized oh, there was a lot more strength. It was just certain movements like a squat that was mm. far more limiting because of his pain and his range of motion in his knee. Right. Yeah. So yeah. the actual particular exercise, it, it, it um, was the aggravating reason. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so let's move on to, what are we now? October. Yeah. And you started seeing them in July, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, end, yep. end of July, yeah. Okay, so you sort of started to go into how they've progressed. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit further about those progressions, mm -hmm. um, seeing you weekly, uh, and then where are they at now? So are we close to achieving those meaningful outcomes, as you mentioned before, being playing more with, <clears throat> excuse me, playing more with grandkids, golf, getting in the boat, those things. So first and foremost, how have they elaborate a bit further on how they progressed in the in their exercise program. Yep. So I'll bring it back to the first session. So this mm -hmm. is where I wanted to try them on some amplitude training and see if shoulders and knees were going to tolerate any of the movements I was right. going to give him. Yep. So because his symptoms were gait-related, um, sort of the short step, not shuffling per se, but some changes in gait through there and that mild tremor, I wanted to go through some lower limb explosive movements and some upper limb fine motor skills. Okay. So yep. I was going for the, the stop and squat. For yep. those who may have um, seen PD Warrior or done mm. some work with um, that, in that space there. And just on that, sorry, Nicole, to butt in, You're but right. um, we will have, if we haven't already, I feel like we've got one related around Parkinson's and our protocols around that mm -hmm. and, and referencing um, referencing the, the recommended um, protocols there. Um, but if we don't, we definitely will have one coming up. So yeah. listen out for that on our academy. Great content. Sorry, Nicole, yeah, go right. on. So we were going for a squat and stop, which is basically a explosive sit to stand and a thrown out of the hands to, again, extreme range. When you're doing amplitude training, we want to go really, really high effort, trying to get RPEs of 8, 9, 10, maximal, mm. really low reps, like power. So we tried a couple of those. Um, I was fairly certain we had knee pain in the sit to stand. It wasn't going to bode really well. But again, mm. I wanted him to see what we wanted to try do but also feel and understand why we needed to focus our attention on more the muscle side of things alongside what he wanted to do. I get it. So you're sort of using it as like a, this is what we need to get to. Yeah. Um, and getting him to sort of self-realize his potential of going, okay, well, I am limited with my knee. Mm -hmm. So therefore those rehabilitation exercises are, are worthy and they need to be done. And you're, you're putting the importance of it on. Yeah. Yep. Great. Fantastic. Um, Proving to him, making him realize himself. Yes. So Great technique. A couple of those, yep. Knee, knee was not happy. Mm. Squat form was not great. Definitely mm. offloading onto a stronger right side. So I said, cool, we're going to park that for now. Let's really target these knees. Try to bridge the gap. Yep. We don't have to get that left knee equaling the right, but let's see if we can build some strength, some coordination, some proprioception through there. Tidy this up before we bring this back into the mix. Mm. Um, 
In terms of upper limb, we tried a scarf snatch where we throw like a light sort of scarf or a cloth into the air and then try to reach forward and grab really quickly and pull back, trying to work on some of his mild tremor and his fine motor skills because that's where mm -hmm. we were starting to lose some function through there. Mm -hmm. um, shoulder, not happy, which <laughs> makes sense because I needed him to throw the scarf up above 90 degrees and then catch and pull back. Mm. So he was a little bit of the mindset that he was happy to push through a bit of pain there and I brought in some education about for him with what's going on in that shoulder, we're only going to make that shoulder worse. And for him, no pain, no gain was not a rule we were using. Um, it's not a rule we, we really use yeah. much at all. Yeah. And explained again, if we targeted these shoulders, built up some strength in them, built some range of motion so we could actually tolerate these ranges better as well, then we could reintroduce. Yep. So those amplitude training movements were parked and we redirected our attention more to global strengthening, but particularly targeting these areas of shoulder and knee, uh, as well as a whole lot of thoracic mobility. Heaps Great. and heaps of thoracic mobility. Quite so stiff at the start. Very stiff. That's what we saw <laughs> on the gait. Um, yeah. Extra muscle mass in the chest and upper body. Yeah. Um, really tall, a, a bigger guy as well. So we really honed in on that for warm-ups before our sessions, but also daily at home. Um, thoracic extension, rotation, everything that we could do that wasn't aggravating the shoulders, but trying to increase range through his upper trunk. Um, we started building in isometric work in his shoulders first to try to address these rotator cuffs. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, I don't have scans or anything like that confirming exactly which one, but we can see which ranges, which movements are painful, mm. um, and we we're able to complete all directions that I wanted to isometrically pain-free, but could still feel muscle working um, and confirmation of the right time in the right space. So I was happy with those, um, and he was very diligent with his home program with that as well. So this is, what's that, end of July? Mm -hmm. um, yep. No mention of, of golf or anything like that. Fast forward four weeks, already starting to see increase in range of motion with shoulders. I'm pushing up heights of uh, a high to low row. We started horizontal, but gradually pushing heights up. Yep. Um, strength increasing, pain decreasing. Um, he's starting to feel the difference through his shoulders. And unbeknownst to me, went and played a round of golf end of August. Came in the next the next week, happy as Larry. Fantastic. Chuffed about his, his, his nine, he played nine holes. Um, and the only thing he complained about was some adductor and hamstring tightness. <laughs> <laughs> so I was Classic. like, the shoulders are fine. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, shoulders are great. He's like, I'm still terrible at golf. But it was, um, yeah. So it's probably the hamstring tightness from picking up the ball yeah, for the rough yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, a long way down. That's yeah. what I get. Yeah. So uh, I was blown away because I hadn't, I hadn't told him when to go back to golf or anything like that. I mean, I didn't, like I said, I sort of parked that, mm. that long-term goal along the side, but secretly working towards it yep. along the side there as well. Yeah. Um, so we, we spoke more about that and I, I said, do you want to play more golf? And he said, absolutely. So I said, okay, well, this is an, an extra bonus of working on this shoulder work as well. That's initially designed to get us available range and, and strength to perform your amplitude training for Parkinson's symptoms. Yeah. But we're going to get twofold benefit here. Yep. So you can go back to playing golf yep. and, and fishing on the boat mm. um, and all sorts of daily activities. Mm. So that's when I started to see a big change in... Um, not personality per se, but I'd say confidence. Yeah. Confidence yeah. in the gym. Yep. Saying hello to other practitioners on the way in. Um, really smiley in the gym. Um, more communi like more communication in the sessions as well. More laughing, more joking around. Already starting to see that bit of a switch in mood. Mm. And what are we now? Mid-October. So it was a month later. So end of September, early October. Yeah. Uh, we're building strength nicely. We're getting into loaded rotation now. So actually building just from passive rotation into row and rotations, building some strength. And there's movements through there. Fantastic. So we can get yeah. better back swings. We can get better forward swing. I had to do some research on some golf. Some, <laughs> chat to some colleagues. But, you know, the concepts, you understand the movement patterns and you can train those. You don't have to be a, a pro in golf. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, we've got a lot of golfers here. Yeah, yeah. I think they all still think I play a lot of golf, but I don't. I'm <laughs> terrible at it. But it comes back to what you know with um, biomechanics, going, yeah. knowing your movement patterns and, um, yeah, working it out from there. And obviously, we've got access to um, uh, great practitioners that have that experience as well. So we can we can discuss. But in, in for those who listen, you might be a sole trader. That's what these podcasts are for. That's mm-hmm. what these groups are about. Um, and as us as an ex-phys community, we're here to support every ex-phys there is. So mm-hmm. if there's you know, concerns around how to tackle a problem, that's, that's where we are. We got have some our weird academy and in. wonderful sports in there. You know, I've yeah. got, I've got um, what do you call them? Skydivers. Like I oh, to, wow. Like I'll openly <laughs> admit to these you know, clients, yeah. I, I'm not I'm, familiar with your sport yeah. <laughs> or what have you. Can you show me some movement patterns that, you'd, that are required? Mm, you know, yeah. We use the Smith machine to hang out and show how we hang out an aeroplane, all sorts of things. But, that's um, pretty cool. Yeah. We can use, like, use the academy page to have discussions as well with, with other mm. clinicians from the body track team and, and elsewhere as well because you yep. never know who you can come across. That's right. Um, just unpack that kind of journey that you spoke about for this for this client. Yep. Um, I think the great takeaway from there is you just provided so much great communication and... Can I interrupt really quickly? Yes. So I didn't tell you. So we fast forwarded four weeks. We're end of September, early October. And he comes back in again. I'm not telling him how I can play golf. Just let him do what he wants to do. Yeah. Comes in. Oh, I had to have a massage on Saturday. I was like, oh, why was that? Oh, three rounds of golf this week. <laughs> and I was like, Fantastic. three rounds of nine? He's like, nah, two 18s and a nine. And I just about that's, fell over. That's great. And I was like, how did the body feel? He's like, I just needed a bit of a massage and, you know, yeah. shoulders up and traps. They were just tired, but they mm. weren't painful. Yeah. So I was blown away with him. Ultimately, so we met him end of July by early October. So two and a bit months, eight, eight nine weeks. Mm. He's back playing golf three times a week. Mm. His mood is you know, fantastic now. Um, and we're at that point. So I see him next week. We're at that point now where I'm starting to, I will start introducing amplitude training. Back Just in. about to ask, yep. is that how, are we at that point yet? So yep. next week, fantastic. And the thing that I wanted to talk about there is you pretty much summed it up, but how you have led with conviction about what you wanted to him to achieve and given him milestones and shown, hey, this is where we need to get to with the amplitude, amplitude training you're not quite there with the musculoskeletal issues that we've identified. Let's focus on those. And as an outcome from that, as you said, um, twofold outcome, being able to go back and play golf. But it was the thing where he wasn't reliant so much on you to say, can I play golf, Nicole? Like, Mm -hmm. are you giving me the green, the the all go, the the all clear, sorry, to go and play it? He Mm -hmm. made that decision for himself because him in himself felt that change and the mood change that you spoke about, all of those to give him confidence to then go and do something that he really loved and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I think that is a far better outcome than, um, and you're not going to get it all the time. Some clients are going to be very dependent on you to direct how they have to do uh, their weekly activity and whether they can do this or not do this. number of times I've had clients say to me, oh, am I allowed to do this? Mm-hmm. Or can I do this? And I say, well, do you think you can? You know, changing that around and actually bringing them in on the conversation because working collaboratively together to get to where they want to be is the main focus here. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on, of course, sometimes you have to be firm with clients and say, probably you can't do that because they might be too weekend warrior or go-getters. But the, the thing that I'm drawing from that is how you involve them and educate them really well to see their potential Mm -hmm. of what they could achieve and instilling them with those resources to feel confident to do what they need to do. 
So uh, that to me was the big takeaway and, and setting really clear milestones um, for, for this particular client to see the path forward given a new condition and everything. Yeah. You mentioned just there as well, sometimes having to be the brakes for the person that tells them we mm. need to change and do something else. Um, and because he's playing so much golf, mm. he is using the buggy on the, the longer holes, which is fair enough. It's a long day out on the yeah. green. <laughs> um, but you sort of feel like walking in between when you're not on the buggy as well. Of course. But because he's doing so much more walking, um, both for as prescribed, yep. um, as, his, as his movement throughout the week, but also at, in golf, we mm. have found there's an increase in that left knee pain. Yep. So I then said to him, look, let's keep the golf in the mix. You can do, still do your walking, but when you come to the gym for your sessions, I want you using the bike as a warm up. So we're not doing walking seven days a week, using that as a primary load. Yeah. Ultimately yeah. that left knee, we're at that point now, I got a, um, a physio point of view because I didn't know how much more movement we get in it. This is an old injury. Mm. Um, we, we can't mm. get terminal knee extension and I didn't know if, if we could under sort of any manipulation or anything like that. So he saw a physio just to get a, um, an opinion on that to see if we were, what did he say? Whooping a, you know, is it a, a dead horse or something like that? Whatever, whatever the analogy is. Basically, pushing something that's not going to change because yeah. it's an old injury. Um, the physio reckons we can get a little bit. We're never going to get fully. So understanding that we have to – I actually cued him to shorten his, his step a little bit because okay. he was normal striding on his right but yeah, unstriding on his left. Work within their means, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so mm. we tried that and that, that helps a little bit. It's not perfect. Um, we might always have a little bit of discomfort with a bit of walking through there as well. So it's a figuring case of figuring out we're not going to shoes we're to be wearing. How can we manage load so we can still get the outcomes we want, which is fitness and, and playing golf? But are there other alternatives like cycling or swimming or anything else we can do to work on the fitness aspect that's mm. not going to aggravate that left knee and stop him from doing things like golf and get on the boat? Yep. Fantastic. Um, we might wrap it up there. Do you have any key takeaways for our listeners, yeah. Nicole? I think the thing there is, as a practitioner, keep your eyes open in terms of for other things that we can also address within the treatment plan. Still make sure that you are addressing and keeping at the forefront what the client's goals are and making that the primary outcome or bringing it back to that at all times. But if you can address other things along the way or show to them why you want to address that before you address perhaps one of their primary goals, give them enough education, prove to them they can do the exercise and show them that they can't do it perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Let them understand as to why you're doing something. Lead them into finding the answer themselves. Mm. You're going to get a lot better buy-in. Yeah. He now knows that exercise is integral for his uh, plan going forward. Um, and he's really excited about where he can go with this. And mm -hmm. we haven't really addressed the Parkinson side of things from the amplitude yeah, side. We've done the strength. Right. Strength's really important. His balance work, is it's still very important. We haven't not addressed it. Um, but there's, there's more we can do, which is really exciting. And he's already getting so much uh, quality of life benefit out of it. Uh, and don't underestimate the power of that to get further buy-in and further motivation to address their primary goals as well. Fantastic. I, I like to think of it as show and involve them, don't mm -hmm. tell them um, yep. in this scenario. Uh, and that's that's how you've got to the point that you're at. So fantastic result there. Um, we'll leave it there, mm -hmm. and I'm sure we'll be back um, again to... If we haven't done one on Parkinson's, I've stretched my brain here over the last two years, how many we've done, uh, but we haven't done one specifically about Parkinson's. We'll get that one out. But if we have searched through the Body Track Academy podcast, and I'm sure there'll be one around that, but uh, listen out for a new one coming soon. Nicole, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll chat to you all soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. So remember to share, like, or follow to keep updated with all our podcasts and educational resources.